0: This is KYRS, Thin Air Community Radio. Welcome to Ceasefire Now, where we focus on political conflicts and wars throughout the world from the standpoint of responsibility for U.S. imperialism. I'm your host, Russell Webster, and today I'm joined by some very special guests. We have local activists uh, that we are going to introduce soon. But first, some updates on Palestine. Israel has escalated raids on the West Bank and is targeting money exchange facilities. U.S.-Israel have killed at least 105 journalists and media staffers since October 7th in Palestine. Hundreds of Palestinians were killed by joint U.S.-Israeli attacks during the holidays. At least 250 Gazans were killed on Christmas Day. Pope Francis referred to Palestinian children as the baby Jesuses of today. U.S.-Israel have killed more than 31,500 Palestinians since October 7th, with most of the dead being civilian Palestinian children, women, and men. Several leading analysts state that Israel's professed objectives, namely to eradicate Hamas from Gaza Strip, is futile since the liberatory ideology cannot be won over by way of force, which gives weight to the claim that the real objectives of the present administration are Israeli expansion and killing countless tens of thousands of Palestinian civilians till the world acts in a way that makes the war more costly than beneficial. But what Washington and Israel are pushing the envelope toward greater wars as they now find themselves in a multi-pronged war with U.S. forces fighting in Iraq, Turkey, and Syria, and U.S. Israel engaging with Lebanon, Yemen, even Egypt. In other words, the United States Empire is fighting at least six opponents in the Middle East alone. With the U.S.-Israel war being overwhelmingly unpopular throughout the world, especially amongst the U.S. public, the present onslaught is hardly sustainable especially in light of the U.S.'s global power in rapid decline. My guests today are two local activists whom I met through protests and other events and organizing for Palestine, Marianne and Jennifer. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Also joining me is a special guest, Sharo, longtime KYRS host of the Persian Hour.
1: Thanks for having me here.
0: Welcome. So today... uh. I wanted to focus on the experience of visiting Palestine and what what that's been like because my guests today have actually um, been to Palestine, although they they are Americans, and we wanted to discuss some of the aspects of uh, visiting uh, Palestine uh, before the war and uh, barriers to to visiting uh, Palestine and what their experiences were like uh, amongst other things. But first, I, I'd like to get to know the guests and find out more about who they are and uh, what what really brought them here to this moment when, uh, when they first became conscious of the occupations and what their experiences have been like uh, in the activist communities over the years. So... Um, Marianne, why don't we start with you and, uh, please just tell us a a little bit about yourself and how you've become engaged, uh, with Palestine.
2: I first became engaged with Palestine as opposed to Israel when I went back to, uh, UC Berkeley when I was 40 and, uh met some people who gave me information I simply couldn't turn away from. I had been a staunch Zionist from the time I was in high school. And when I got to Berkeley, I started uh, meeting up with people who I knew were politically involved in various things, as I had always been. And uh, I met one man in particular who was telling me what I called lies about Israel. Um, he told me things about what Israel had done and was doing uh, uh, that I simply could not believe because I'd chosen my own research and learning very carefully and limited them. I didn't know it, but I was only reading Zionist literature. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's a longer story than we have time for, but it was a. An, after I got softened by talking to a lot of people that I was meeting and coming to respect and learning very different facts from what I thought I had. And a work of art is what finally did it. It was a dance that finally caused me, it just tore the scabs off my heart. And I did agree to go to some of the Palestine uh, Solidarity Committee. Um, actually, it was the November 29 Committee for Palestine at, the, at that time. And I agreed to go to listen to what the Palestinian uh, people had to say in the Bay Area. And I said specifically one word, just one word of anti-Semitism, and I'm out of here forever. Hmm. And I sat there for months and never, ever heard a word that even I, in my naive with my naive background about it, could have construed as anti-Semitism. It was all about Palestine and liberation and what's right and what's wrong. So, that's that kind of sewed me up to it. <laughs>
0: wow! Yeah. And this was this was in the the 60s. During... No,
2: this was in 1985, okay. before the first Intifada. Okay. And uh, I worked th- those years in the Bay Area were very very intense. We did a lot of things. We. Um, we ran a campaign to get Berkeley to adopt Jabalia as a sister city because uh, Berkeley did that for South African cities and, you know, cities that needed help. Mm. So, but of course, and we knew we were going to lose, um, but the campaign was what it was about. And, uh, of course, we did lose. We got 30% of the vote. Um We did a a huge campaign in the metro stations where we had signs about 8 by 20 in each one in each of the stations along the route, the train route. And they went. It was a it was a very interesting struggle just to get that done. But um, they went up one night and they went down the next night. They were supposed to have stayed up for 30 days because that's what we paid for. They disappeared, and um, the the, bar, the Metro people told us. Uh, depending on who called, we got a different story every day for why they came down. Um, and in fact, it was an organized opposition to um, to Palestine in the Bay Area that caused them to come to get down. We won finally because the ACLU stepped out up and said, "No, you can't do that." Um, we did a lot of that kind of thing in the Bay Area. And then I moved to Spokane, and uh, Pajal's under Rusty and Nancy Nelson were also looking at Palestine. So it's just been most, well, half of my life has been Palestine and very serious in the trenches kind of work.
0: Well, We're so happy to have you with us because we have so much to learn from you. And as we were discussing, I always earlier, have something to learn from everybody. <laughs> J- Jennifer, can you speak on your experience as um, if if you know sort of when you became conscious of it, how it's how how your uh, journey has been?
3: Absolutely. Um, really, I guess my journey starts in the '60s, uh, right after I graduated from high school, and I read Exodus uh-huh. by Leon Uris. And oh my gosh, you know, and then what we had was the 67 war. And I remember, uh, here it, it, it was, uh, you know, six days long and Israel totally, you know, kicked butt. Mm-hmm. And I was so happy because obviously when you read Exodus and you realize there's this little bitty country, uh, you know, trying to establish itself and, and, uh, hold off those, uh, terrible Arab countries, uh, and, uh, You know, I was just 100% with that. I find out decades later that that book has made a huge difference in the way America has viewed Israel, American Mm. um, congresspeople. And, you know, and and, well, and then, of course, remember Paul Newman in the movie, for heaven's sakes. Mm. So I went for years and years um, knowing essentially nothing but what, the, the book had said, and feeling, uh, you know, my heart was, oh, these poor people didn't have any idea about the uh, whole uh, the, the the concept that the uh, the the Jewish people came there in order to establish a land of uh, a country of their own, and what that would mean for the people who were already there. So, fasting forward to uh, the time that I met Marianne, who I were trying to reconstruct that one. And I think it was in about 2011, 2012, when I went to a presentation that uh, she and our friend Myrta were making on Palestine. And my eyes were totally opened to another narrative than the one that I was used to. So then I went to the library and I tried to find a book that could do what Exodus did only on the, for the Palestinian side, and uh, asked the librarian and honestly they have they had at that point uh, hardly any books that would do for me what I wanted done, and uh, I thought that was sad, and now an interesting thing is when you go to the library now, many more books, mm. a lot more information um, so I did take um Three trips to Palestine. First in 2013, uh, following in uh, Marianne's footsteps, she had suggested the Interfaith Peace Builders, who are now Eyewitness Palestine, uh, and we basically were there for uh, almost two weeks, and it was a fact-finding. We were in a bus, and the bus went uh, to this NGO and that NGO, and and different uh, to listen to uh, Palestinian people Palestinian people uh, tell us. Uh, what their life is like, what they want to do—you uh, know—inform us, which was great. And then two years later, I went again with Code Pink and if you look them up (laughs) they're an amazing uh, organization and uh, with tons of energy whenever they take on any injustice and uh, that was a fascinating visit and then the third visit was really different because uh, I've been a bicycler uh, for uh, since 1999 and uh, heard that there was a bicycle tour being organized Um, that would go uh, I'm looking at a map right now of uh, the West Bank and it would go from Janine in the north to Hebron in the south and be um, uh, we would be followed by a truck that could pick us up if we got a little tired from from the hills or whatnot and we we uh, did sightseeing along the way and um I'm remembering, especially as we were, you see, uh, the, when you go from Janine to Nablus and then down to, uh, to Jericho, of course, you're in hills. Mm. And I don't do hills very well, but I had help from the people in the truck. And I'm just remembering that as we would come into these small villages— uh, there would be boys and men. <laughs> you didn't hardly see the women. I guess they were home doing things that women do. But the boys and the men would see us, and we were like rock stars. It was They, they had to come up to us and ask us questions, even if we may not be able to understand their, their language and vice versa. Um, and so I'll uh, say more uh, about um, a... Uh, presentation that I made at um, uh, one of the high schools in um, uh, a social studies class that uh, had to do with what I um, saw personally uh, on those trips.
0: Oh, yeah. I'd love to hear about that. Oh, well, First, uh, I think I've already shared my uh, sort of journey uh, on previous shows, but I'd like to uh, introduce Sharo to the uh, community and, uh, you know, talk about Talk about your journey and anything you'd like us to to know about who you are and your relationship to Palestinian liberation.
1: Thank you, Russell. Um, I've been in the United States for 45 years and um, I remember basically living here I had become terrified of going back to Iran. Um, A lot of my family members who have lived in the United States for so long, they also are terrified of going back to Iran. And I went back for the first time after 22 years, and that this was 23 years ago. And when I got there, uh, what I experienced was um, beauty, just beauty of humanity. Everybody was so kind, It was such a beautiful country. It was such a beautiful culture. And that's when it dawned on me that I, as an Iranian, I had become afraid of myself, Hmm. my own people, my heritage, my family and friends from a long time ago. And then I went, how could that have happened? And I realized... That my fear had been established in me through the mainstream media by watching all these movies, watching the news. Day and night, um, we we're being bombarded, we we're being brainwashed in fearing the other, especially the brown people, the Arabs, the Palestinians, the Iraqis, the Afghanis, the Iranians. And that's when I started paying more attention. And when I watched TV, Um, I picked out all these um, systems, the methods, the methodology of how they demonize people, especially the Palestinians. And at the same time, when every time that Israel was attacking Palestinians, killing hundreds of them, then there would be all these movies on TV being shown... um, about moses and you know everything to um that made israelis look good and there were um, movies being shown that portrayed arabs as a terrorists. and it was like every, i always knew when when there's an attack by israel against palestinians there would be those movies in the theaters there would, those movies would be on tv it was like it was planned um So I just started paying more attention and more attention and more attention and I realized how much bias there is. And I I wanted to learn more about Palestine and Palestinians. So I started studying more about their history, how everything happened. And for a while before that, I admired Israelis because all I heard about Israelis was they developed Israel into a beautiful democratic country, it's technologically advanced, their environment is advanced, whereas the Arabs, they didn't even have shoes to wear, and they were uneducated. And the more I studied, then I realized it's not that at all. And I had believed the narrative that that had been fed to me for a long time. So... Um, that was part of the reason I started my radio show, The Persian Hour, and it was on for like 16, 17 years. So I just wanted to tell this story just about Iran because that's something I knew about, you know, how I had to humanize Iran by sharing stories, their human stories, share recipes, music, just so people realize that these are human beings and the mainstream media is made, it's creating a narrative to get us afraid of them. And now with your show, mm-hmm. I'm so proud of you I'm so grateful to you because you are creating an awareness an understanding for the people in Spokane um, to have a, an opportunity for people in Spokane to have an understanding of what it's really happening the reality, the history of this conflict. Um, so that's why I'm involved. I feel like it's my duty as a human being to stop this cycle of violence and doing it by creating awareness and understanding to stop this cycle of racism and violence. If if it takes um, 100 years to do it, we have to do it. And this is my way of trying to do it by helping out.
0: Absolutely. Thank, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I mean, uh, cutting through the the propaganda, escaping the, the the trap of propaganda that that we grow up in, and uh, I I haven't heard stories like that where where uh, folks may have immigrated or came from other countries into the United States, and then they were subject to the uh, propaganda system as well, and so it it's all sort of encompassing. When you have Israel, uh, you know, you know, putting lots of money into uh, uh, media and into education systems and into the propaga- uh, propaganda system, it, it's uh, it's a miracle sometimes that any of us can can get out of it. But we are out of it, and uh, this show itself, this program, is uh, exactly as you say. It's an, it's in a response to a lack of information getting out to the public. And we are, we have come together spontaneously, uh, local activists and community members with concern for that. And so we, we are doing this in a joint effort. And I think Sharo, he really organized this, this show. And so it continues on, and we're going to continue getting uh, the information out there, but I'd like to turn back to uh, after we, ha- we're going to take a short break, but I'd like to turn back to Marianne and speaking on uh, visiting Palestine uh, perhaps different barriers may have encountered and, and what it was like and we'll uh, open the discussion uh, to others as well we'll be back shortly
3: let's get free let's get free let's get free.
1: Meditation, they i soul under rotation Put the freedom on the stations, we are forming A new nation based on justice and forgiveness And rehabilitation, they addicted To the money and they public reputation But if you decide to share, you can join The conversation, how in practice We gon' get these reparations It gon' take patience, but the prophecy is ancient yeah. Cause every breath you take is Yo. a holy invitation Free your spirit, free your mind one time Free the people,
3: free the music from them dollar signs Free our family up in Palestine Let's keep it rocking hip hop,
0: wisdom and knowledge Welcome back to Ceasefire Now. That was Our Liberation by the peace poets and Karami Hilaire. I have with me some very special guests, local activists, and we are going to continue the discussion. Shah has a question.
1: Yes. Um, so this question is for you, Marianne. I, I would like to be educated about a term and the term is Zionism. You said you used to be a staunch Zionist. I would like to understand what that means. I I don't want to go on the Internet and read about it. Can you explain to me what that is?
2: Um, I understood and understand Zionism as as very simple. It's not complicated to me. When I was a Zionist, I felt that my identification of myself was as somebody who believed deeply that... um, that, that Jewish people needed a safe place to be in the world. That was before I figured out that Israel was probably the most unsafe. Um, I, I absolutely believed in their right to, that, to a state. I'd never carried it any further to ask myself, if they're going to have a state somewhere, who's going to pay the price? and by which I mean whose land is going to be sacrificed to make a new state for only one kind of people. That's, that, to me, is what Zionism is. It, it's, the way it's talked about today, there are a thousand explanations, and it, it gets so complicated, your eyes cross. That's what it was to me when I thought that Israel had a right to exist as a Jewish homeland. It was also before I realized that no state has a right to exist. They either do or they don't. People have a right to exist. That, short and sweet.
1: Okay, thank you. I think people should feel safe to live wherever they are. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Jews should be safe, no matter where they are. They don't have to leave one country for another country to feel safe. Right. Right, um, Same as Muslims or anyone. Absolutely. Anyone. Yes.
2: Um, you had wanted me to talk about, I think, the, the, the two trips to Palestine that, yes. that I made. The first one was with a uh, Christian peacemaker team. And which I always thought was ironic because I'm such a staunch atheist. <laughs> but um, in fact, religion didn't matter. They, the work that they were doing was so amazing. And I was sponsored by the Shalom Ministries here, which is a Mennonite uh, church group. They sponsored me with with this uh, Christian Peacemaker team. Today is Community Peacemaker team. It was Christian when I went. The purpose of that Trip was to do work with CPT. CPT did, um, does protection work. Uh, People who go there, we we would walk to school with school children, especially young school children, grammar school and middle school. Because, and, and it was stationed in Hebron, which is just about the most dangerous city in the West Bank. Uh, Because when those kids would walk to school, it was dangerous for them. The Jewish settlers had and still are encroaching even on the West Bank, which has always been, well, was called Palestinian. Um, And they were vicious. They were absolutely vicious. People would come out when they would see groups of school children walking to school unaccompanied. And they would, uh, they screamed at them, they yelled at them, they beat them up, they spit on them, they threw rocks at them. So, one of the things that we did with CPT was walk to school with those kids Mm -hmm. and then be there when school got out and walk home with them. Because when internationals were around, the Jewish settlers tended not to attack. Um, Another part of the work was going out in the fields with farmers. I did. I worked with the school kids. I never did go out into the fields, but they needed people to be out in the fields with them because um, the farmers were having such a hard time doing their crops, their um, and their animals. The, their their animals were poisoned. Their irrigation pipes were cut. I could go on for a long time about the awfulness that the settlers were doing to the people, and CPT was there for protection. And It was interesting that whenever... We always had to wear our red hat. We were known as the red hats. And we had to be identified. And whenever you would go in to just about any place to get a cup of coffee or a, a falafel or whatever and try, and went to pay you we often ran into no you cannot pay you're a red hat we don't want your money we want you here but you know i mean they just they, they were so taken with these internationalists who came there just to stand with them we always did pay of course but um, so that was that was the first time i was there for i think it was 3 weeks primarily in hebron doing that work and then the uh, the rest of the time we did things that uh, Jennifer described we went to various and sundry uh, Palestinian organizations we listened to people we went into Israel and we listened to Israelis Um, we listened to Jewish Israelis so we got they tried to give an overview um was very interesting. It was very interesting. The uh, We went to two settlements. Uh, I'll take that back. One settlement was uh, in Efrat, and we visited with an Israeli couple. Um, she was born and raised in the United States, and he was from Israel. And by the time I got back out into the bus after that conversation, I couldn't speak. I was literally paralyzed the hatred I heard was just and and untruths and it, it was it was terrible, but I know they thought they were in the right. We also went to Sidrat, which was also a part of the um, the Hamas um, attack on in October, and we listened to uh, a very nice Israeli woman telling us about how frightened they were living so close because it was right on the border of Gaza, but they had a safe room. Hmm. And as I listened to that, my heart thought, nobody in Palestine has a safe room, but they're attacked constantly. So there were just a lot of things that were just really hard to take, especially the uh, settlers and all of Israel's use of the water um, compared to the little bits that Palestinians could uh, get. It was, it was a really painful trip. It was also where I realized that I grew up in the United States, in white America, in Northern California. And I had this, a particular sense of how we are in the world. And when I was in Palestine, I, I came away thinking, if I'm ever alone and ill in this world... I hope I'm in Palestine. Because no matter who I am, that's where people will take care of me. Wow. And I've never felt that in any other country. I've been to many other countries. I've never felt that before. The second trip was uh, with Interfaith Peace Builders, who is now Eyewitness Palestine. Um, that one was uh, completely informative. I mean, a... Uh, uh, they call them fact finding, but I came away with some of the most amazing memories of there. I remember at Holy Land Trust, this young man who was about thirty years old. He was telling us what the the work that the Holy Land Trust does, and we're listening. We're all fascinated. His cell phone rings. He said, "Excuse me, I have to answer this," and he walked away. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm mean, in America. I would think, well, how rude. You know, you don't do that when you're doing a presentation. Well, I don't know. You know, this is a different place. So we waited. He came back. He said, that was my son. He's six years old. He said, about a year ago, Israelis broke into our house in Palestine, in the West Bank, broke into our house, beat me up in front of my kids, and took me away. When I got back, he said, my son could not leave my side but I have work to do so I have to do this work but I have a cell phone and he has a cell phone, he's 6 years old and every 20 to 30 minutes this man's phone rings and he does have to answer it because it's his 6 year old and that child cannot cope with his daddy not being able to answer the phone anymore that was one of the most heartrending situations i mean it's so many but that that one really got to me we visited uh on both trips we visited with a family in east jerusalem who had been in their home for many 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 years what was going is and continues to go on there is whenever a jewish family from west jerusalem which is the israeli side of jerusalem they come over and this is policy this is deliberate this is a plan they find a house that they would like to live in that a Palestinian family lives in and owns and they move in. And I watched them on one of the demonstrations at Sheikh Jarrah. I watched a family moving in to the front of a Palestinian house. The Palestinians may or may not have had one moment of notice. They are moved out the back door and they can go live in the street If the family feels, if the house is big enough, the Jewish family may say, you can have that room, but no more. And the family we visited with um, had had exactly that experience. They were still living in half the house. Um, And there's no compensation for the houses that they lose. And the courts uh, are with them on it? Absolutely, absolutely. They have absolutely no... uh, recourse. no recourse. There's there's nothing. But
1: they claim it's a democracy.
2: Yes. And you know you'll you'll be told so many times that Israel is a democracy. Let's not talk about West Bank or Gaza, but we'll talk about just Israel being a democracy. Well, I'm sorry, it's not. Because it's like 20, I think 25 or so, maybe 27% Arab. And they are not real citizens there's a there 's a, a differentiation and i 'm not going to try to tell you what it is, just that it is there. Um, I think the Arab people Israelis are citizens, but the there's a different uh, label for what Jewish Israelis are, and those are the people who have all the rights, all the perks they can do anything you know like a, as though it were a democracy although Netanyahu's doing his best to finish that for them. Mm. Uh, and that has nothing to do with Gaza. Um, you often hear they can run for office, they can go to this, you know, be a Supreme Court judge, etc. Uh, in the Knesset, there are Palestinian representatives, and they are so helpless and voiceless. I mean, I... Actually, I try not to get into the discussion about whether Israel is a democracy because it's just the—it's such a big conversation, and I think it—it it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to, at all to
3: me. And so, if I could jump in there, yes, uh, just a couple of years ago, uh, uh, Israel was declared to be the nation-state of the Jews, mm-hmm. right? Was that the and. How is it possible to have a democracy where everybody's equal, where Jewish people are more equal than Mm non-Jews? And yet that is exactly... That's not democracy. That's how it works. So I can't go along with the the statement that they're a democracy at all. Uh, Can I... Oh, go ahead. ahead. Okay. Um, So... uh, For instance, here's one of the people that uh, I have a quote from one of the people who was on the bike trip with us that I think is an important and very succinct one-sentence thing. Uh, When people want to talk about Israel-Palestine and they want to say, oh my gosh, that's been going on for hundreds of years, the animosity between... And I'm going, no, you don't know your history. That's not true. Um, However, what... Uh, it is it it's uh, it's complicated and yet it's not. I mean, it can be boiled down to just this. Here's the sentence that my friend is saying. He says, "A uh, quote conflict is not a conflict, and it's not complex. It's a massive, violent presence by a military significantly funded by our own American tax dollars, yeah. and a ceaseless and courageous resistance to that presence by a civilian population." And you just hear so much talk about. Rights and um, and that uh, Israel has the right to exist, uh, especially if they want to say Israel has the right to exist as a Jewish state. I will absolutely argue that. I I was in a group of people um, about three weeks ago. Uh, One of the representatives of Stand With Us, which is uh, an arm of uh, Israel where uh, they have people here in America who go to places to give uh, talks to people and Mm -hmm. kind of explain Israel. And some of the things that this gentleman had to say, I was sitting there sort of shaking my head and he looked at me and, you know, what was my issue? And I go, some of the things you're saying are debatable but he is giving them as if they were facts. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, they're debatable. So one of the things that I wanted to share with you, uh, you all, (laughs) is um, I gave a PowerPoint presentation at a uh, a local high school. And I began my my, uh, presentation with this beautiful picture that I wish you could see. But it's a picture that was, um, or not a picture, it was a, a painting done by David Roberts in 1835. And it is a painting of uh, Hebron in the distance, and so Hebron in 1835 obviously was highly populated and highly uh, civilized, Mm -hmm. and yet what we hear all the time is that that uh, one of the reasons why Israel or why Jewish people wanted to colonize um, uh, Palestine is because quote. It's a land without people for a people without a land. Mm. And I came to understand that that's one of the things that Israeli children are taught in school. Uh, when on my last night after this wonderful bike ride through, uh, from, uh, through the West Bank, and I was staying in a hostel uh, right very near the old city in, in Jerusalem. And it was, um, it was um, the, over Passover, And so the hostel people, (laughs) the people in the hostel, um, asked several uh, university students to come and give a presentation and also um, uh, uh, fix a meal for us. Uh, And and, and of course they did. And that was uh, great to hear them. And we sat around on a table. I want to say there's a group of, excuse me, about maybe 15 people. And then you know, they were done with what they had to do, but we sat and talked after that. And they asked me who I was. You know, who, who am I that I'm sitting? And I said, well, I'm from America, and I came here to ride a bicycle in the West Bank from the north of it to the south of it. And I, and I didn't know what their reaction would be. I mean, they're Jewish people. Uh, how would they feel about me coming and visiting, not them, but the Palestinians? Mm-hmm. And we t- we discussed this business of a land without people for a people without a land. They absolutely had heard that phrase. It was their understanding as well. There, it still is their understanding as far as they're concerned. Uh, most of what Israel uh, contains is lots of land that there there should be no problem with the Palestinians sharing it. Um, and, and, uh, they quote Mark Twain and Mark Twain wrote was an innocence abroad. I think was the, the, uh, the name of the book that he wrote and he had, uh, it was about his travels and he had traveled to Israel or at the time, Palestine Mm. and the West Bank. And he, he acts as if it really is a place that just is pretty empty Mm. And then the the kids uh, that in the Israeli schools they heard about that they already knew about Mark Twain and his quote and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I guess my point being that most definitely um, uh, Israel Israeli education uh, there's a spin that's <laughs> that's maybe different from the one we understand. Did you want to uh, yeah. bop bop in there? Uh, no, I'm gonna wait until you're finished i just okay well uh and of course we're we're coming down to yeah. a little problem here. i guess um we, we one of the reasons why we were here maybe we need to come back again to well many times uh because this is such a big topic but uh, i had written down a number of um uh, notes regarding uh human rights okay because one of the things that happens in palestine um in the west bank in gaza um uh, and to a to a certain extent, to the, the, uh, the Arab Israelis in, in Israel itself, is that there are rights that, are, that should be given to all people and, and are recognized as international rights. And all of the people who are in the United Nations have signed saying, yes, absolutely, this is what we believe, this is what we want to do. And I was there to see how that just wasn't true. Hmm. in in many instances um for instance um the restriction of movement within the west bank that there are checkpoints and we would come up on our bicycles and you know there we were at a checkpoint and pretty much we were we were treated pretty innocently i mean we were british and americans and you know but we certainly could see there were cars that were stopped And people had to get out of their cars and the cars were inspected and that there are two different kinds of license plates Mm. and you have to have the right color and kind of license plate to go on certain roads in the West Bank. And in my presentation uh, at this uh, social studies class, uh, that's what I said because that's what I saw and that was what what do i want to say Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was um argued by um some parents of kids in the class saying that's a lie wow and another lie that i said was that palestinians um can't just go to the beach i mean we're talking you you need to understand how how close uh palestine border is to the sea and Mm -hmm. but I three uh, percent of the people get to go to the sea. I don't know, you know, very small number, and and that was, there was another uh, point that the person was trying to make mm. was I was lying about that. Palestinians oh. are free to go to the ocean or to to the sea, and I'm going uh, no.
0: And this <laughs> you know, is Gaza.
3: No, no, this uh, is uh, West Bank. Okay, this is West Bank. We now, Marianne and I did not get to go into Gaza. We got to go right up to the edge of it. We got to see people standing in line, but at the time that we went, which was uh, 2012, 2013, we were not allowed. Um, And so uh, one of the things that I did want to mention is that uh, that, uh, there's such a thing as administrative detention Mm. in uh, West Bank. And what that means is the Israeli Defense Forces get to... uh, Basically arrest you, and what I mean by that is grab you and take you to jail, and you don't get charged with anything. You just get to stay there until they decide to let you go. They can keep you for six months, and then let you go. And then or, if, they,
2: or they keep reinstating it. Yeah, and then hours. at the
3: end of six months, if they want to, they can re up that. So, uh, and also in Palestine, uh, there's a military court versus a civil court. So all those six hundred thousand settlers that are illegally in the West Bank, Mm. uh, are under civil court and the Palestinians are under military court. So it could be the same um, uh, violation, but two different courts come up with Mm. two different um, sentences. And Marianne wants to pop in there. Yeah, I I got to
2: say, uh, for one thing, that uh, Declaration of Human Rights, the United States never signed it. We're one of the very few nations that never signed it. Mm-hmm. And we also don't do very well with our citizens because everybody's entitled to housing, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to real quickly give a shout out before I go any further to the young people who have surfaced in this town we and charo knows we've been doing palestine solidarity work for so many years here in spokane always wondering where are the young people why can't we engage them and i got to tell you the that first after after October 7th there was that big demonstration down at Riverfront Park Mm -hmm. so many people 200 or more which for Spokane is a lot it was a freezing cold rainy day and it had been organized by a group of young people Um, this one was the committee for socialism and liberation of Palestine Mm -hmm. I'm sorry if I've messed up the name um they're so enthusiastic. They're all, they're knowledgeable. They know what they're doing. They're all young, you know. They're, uh, they're going to have to make their own mistakes. We certainly mm-hmm. made a lot of our own. And then soon after that, Kate Burke and Sarah Gwynn helped put together the Inland Northwest Committee for mm-hmm. the Liberation of Palestine. All of a sudden, there are all these young people with so much knowledge, so much enthusiasm, and I just. Have to give them a shout out. Um, but could I tell you asked about how difficult it was to get into yes, Palestine? Um, the first time I went, I get this big, huge packet from CPT. These are, you know, some of the things you can do, can't do, et cetera. One of the things they talked about was how you're going to dress when you go in, hmm. because it turns out that pe- women of a certain age, most particularly, were being. Um, Kind of targeted. They, apparently, a lot of us women of a certain age were going to Palestine, not for Israel, and so Israel had their uh, their their eyes open. Their their
3: uh, they're watching. Voice. Thank you. Yes, no. and voice. Uh,
2: so <laughs> there's a way to dress. And I don't know if I can describe it to you. I guess you just have to use your imagination. And there's a
3: correct answer to the question. Why are you here? What is your plan? Yeah. And, and, and that is, I'm here to see the Holy Land. That's what I said the first time. Um,
2: and I also dressed like some sort of garish... I, I I had more makeup on than I've ever worn in my life. I just I didn't look like a woman of a certain age coming to Palestine to do solidarity work. Mm-hmm. I looked like...
3: A midwestern tourist, or something like that. I carried my Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Israeli uh, or Welcome to Israel uh, tour book. You know, because I'm going to see all the tours in the Holy Land. Mm -hmm.
2: Now we only have about five more minutes, and I'm wondering: is there a particular thing that we have not covered that you wanted us to cover?
0: I I've just been enjoying uh, listening to you both. Uh, I wish we had more time; we could cover so much more. I hope I hope you come back come back on. I think Chero has something he'd like to mention.
1: Sorry, <laughs> my mic was off. Yes, we do have five minutes left. Um, I would like to hear some final thoughts, but also, what do you think we need to do? What should happen to end this genocide? What, what can people in Spokane do? What can people in this country do? What should the Israelis do? What What does the world have to do, in, in your opinion?
2: Um, I have some strong thoughts about it. I also believe... That unless American people are willing to rise up and occupy the offices of the Congress, nothing's going to change. And that might not do it either. I think it's up to the rest of the world. The United States, as Russell said, our power is declining as an empire anyway. I do believe it's up to people in the rest of the world to force Israel to stop. And the only way that's going to happen, my opinion, is to stop aid to Israel immediately. No, just immediately across the board. I wish there were real, honest to God, UN peacekeepers because I think after all these years of... (laughs) I believe that those peace, there should be peacekeeper soldiers who can go into Gaza, arrest all of the Israeli soldiers, particularly the ones who have been showing themselves on these horrific videos, so proud of themselves, and they and the leaders of Israel need to be put on trial Nuremberg style. Crimes against humanity. Crimes against humanity, all of which I know is never going to happen. So to tell you the truth, I don't know what we can do. The U.S. is certainly not going to stop aid to Israel. George W. Bush chastised Israel some many years ago for killing 14,000 civilians at once. 14,000. Israel does that in what, two days? And Joe Biden says, uh, God, I wish you'd be a little kinder with your bombs. I'm sorry, I'm <laughs> losing it. I, I, don't, I don't know, Sharo. I really don't
3: know. Well, thank you for your honesty. I appreciate that. What do you think? I would I would agree that it, what it's going to take is an uprising, in the upright, oh, intifada style, I guess. In that we have got to let our uh, representatives know how how we how much we care about this and how we expect them to do something. It's difficult because it seems like they're not listening, and they, and, they will
2: not listen until the cost is greater than than not listening. Yep. I mean, and I—I I, I don't know. People got to figure out for themselves what the cost is.
1: Do you feel safe making statements like that in this country? I
3: do. I—I uh, I guess I never thought about it being a, safe. I do feel safe making <laughs> making comments. Um, and I guess, see, I do have friends who are um, Jewish, who who would disagree with me about how I feel about what's happening in Palestine. Uh, and I, I'm so sorry that they can't see further than in front of their face, that this is uh this is a crime and it has to stop and it should have stopped
2: weeks ago. And it's-, it's not going to stop until, until they have managed to push what Palestinians are left across the border into the Sinai desert and, it's so frightening because israel Egypt is sitting there with a big army and a lot of anger Iran is sitting there with a big army and a lot of fear for their own safety there are so many countries that we are involving as though these were just tiddly winks thank
0: you so <laughs> thank you so much for for this this amazing discussion I can't wait to have you back on because we do have so much more to to discuss,
3: Well, can we say we do have uh, resources if somebody wants to contact you, we can send them a page of uh, books, magazines, right. websites, films to watch.
0: Absolutely. I will uh, list those on the on the website and just remember that uh, we are not experiencing uh, anything new in this country, that this is a part of a process that has been going on for hundreds of years, if not thousands, yes. depending on how you want to look at it. I was also taught that I was uh, brought up in a land with no people. Uh, I was I was taught the same lies as an American, and it took me uh, my whole life to come out of that. Um, but we are a part of a global movement for liberation yeah. from these sorts of things that we will discuss next week on Ceasefire Now. Thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you all. Thank you.